This presentation has been previously broadcast. We're still here in the first month of the year. It's still January. How are you doing trying to be healthier? Are you still on track with exercising, with eating better? Wherever you might be in your attempt to feel better, to get stronger, to lose weight, any of those kinds of things, stay with me. I'll share seven easy things that you can do today for a healthier tomorrow. That's coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Well, here we are. Happy Tuesday. So Harvard Medical School shared this list of seven different things that you can do to make your life a little healthier. First, ease into your exercise. If you started off a little too ambitious at the beginning of this year and kind of gave up, if you threw in the towel, well, try and do something small. You can start walking as few as five minutes every day. Then next week, Add five minutes on top of that. If you keep doing that every week, within two months, you'll be logging the recommended amount of exercise for an adult, 150 minutes a week or 30 minutes a day for five days through the week. If walking, you know, you got bad knees or, you know, that's that's an issue there, maybe back pain, try something else, uh, water exercises, maybe riding a bike. All right, number two, sleep until you're rested and get the best rest that you can. Stay away from caffeine and alcohol late in the day. Don't exercise within three hours of going to bed. Do things that will calm your body as you get ready for bed. Take a warm bath or a warm shower. Read something light. Listen to music. Pray. And keep computers and work projects and televisions, all of those different screens and other things, those distractions, keep those out of the bedroom. Number three, follow a heart-healthy diet. This one's pretty simple. I'm sure you weren't surprised by that. Uh, Eat more fruits, more vegetables, more whole grains, lean meats, of course. Uh, Number four goes along with number three. It is snack selectively. Instead of chips or cookies, Have some fresh fruit or maybe some nuts. Both of those will have fewer calories. They'll make you feel full longer. Number five, drink coffee. If you're a coffee drinker, that's probably music to your ears. Moderate coffee intake, about two to five cups a day. But coffee, drinking coffee is linked to lower likelihood of type 2 diabetes, heart disease, liver and endometrial cancers, Parkinson's disease, and depression. It's even possible that people who drink coffee can reduce their risk of early death. And if you like that one about coffee, you'll probably like number six as well. Eat chocolate. At least some forms of uh, chocolate are full of cocoflavanols. These are powerful antioxidants that may help protect against heart disease and cognitive decline. So you can enjoy an ounce or two of chocolate a couple times a week without risking any weight gain, but it has to be milk chocolate or dark chocolate. I think the darker, the better is usually what I've heard. White chocolate doesn't have the same health benefits, so if white chocolate is your favorite, sorry, doesn't count. Finally, number seven in this list of things that you can do today for a healthier tomorrow, stay connected. Connected with your spouse, connected with your family, with your social circle, being connected with others. It can help raise your levels of oxytocin. That's a hormone that relieves stress and it promotes a sense of well-being. So all seven of those, I'm sure that none of those were all that shocking to hear, especially 
some of the things that you might have been expecting, exercising, even if it's only a little to start, getting good sleep, eating healthy. We all know you can't just eat pizza and cheeseburgers every day while sitting around and playing video games and then binge-watching shows on your streaming device and still expect to lose weight and feel healthy. And if we know that there are certain things you need to do to be healthy physically, it should be no surprise that there are basic things that you should do to be healthy spiritually. The Catholic Church has given guidelines for your most basic spiritual health. At the very least, these are the things that you need to be doing as a Catholic, as a Christian. It's the bare minimum. I'm talking about the five precepts of the Catholic Church. This is what we want to discuss today on The Inner Life. What are those precepts? How do we live those out? And joining us as we look at the precepts of the Church, Father Peter Armenio is back here as our spiritual director. Father Peter is a priest of Opus Dei. He's the head of Opus Dei for the Midwest. Father Peter, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be back, Josh. Um, I, it's very enjoyable to sh- share some Catholic teaching with such a pleasant and uh, docile audience. Yes, well, I, you know, one of the things that I always think is so important, we there are so many different things we encounter, I think, in our culture that give us a misunderstanding, a misperception of what the Catholic Church actually teaches. You know, there's that famous quote from uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, where he said, you know, there aren't more than 100 people who hate the Catholic Church, but there's millions of people who hate what they mistakenly believe that the Catholic Church teaches. And so us being able to look at some of the teachings of the Church so that we know definitively what they are, and then knowing those, hopefully we can live those out, I think is always a great place to start in so much of our understanding of the faith. Exactly. And we have to look at the Church. That's how the Church is revealed uh, by the Lord himself, by the uh, tradition of the Church, as a mother. And these precepts are not uh, an expression of the Church being a killjoy, but the Church uh, solicitous over her children and helping them at least break the ice so that they're instructed, so that they uh, live the life of Christ, so that they have a a semblance of the happiness that God wants to give us. How badly? Well, his son died on the cross for us to be that, to share in God's happiness called everlasting life. So we want to look at those precepts not as burdens, but as life-giving sources uh, that come from the heart of Jesus Christ. The, uh, I don't know, maybe I could give, it's not a precept to church, but it is a uh, part of canon law that, and it's almost counterintuitive, the church recognizes every marriage, whether it's between a Muslim, even between two atheists, as a, not as matrimony, but as a, sacri- as, a, as a bond of natural law, but will not recognize two Catholics marrying outside the church, out, uh, without uh, a representative like a deacon or a priest uh, vouching for that marriage, being a witness of that marriage, uh, even ministering to that marriage. Why? Because the church is vouching for her children and will not recognize their marriage unless they could, uh, in good faith, say, well, they're being nourished by the church. We're going to help that marriage 
uh, last. We're going to nourish that marriage. But if that those two couples reject all the benefits of the church through the matrim- uh, sacrament of matrimony, they will not recognize that marriage. In other words, I'm not, I can't vouch for you because I can't give you what will be to your benefit. So I think we want to look at the, the precepts as that, as, as the Lord reaching out to us in the Old Testament, especially the book of De- Deuteronomy, uh, the commandments, the Decalogue, are associated with a life-giving source, that these are m- means and vehicles to receive life and blessings from God. And that's why God wanted the Jewish people to be faithful so that God and his infinite love could keep blessing those people. It's a way of opening yourself up for God. So, right. Uh, well, let's maybe even just start with that word precept. You know, we don't hear that word used all that often. And no. you mentioned, you know, Deuteronomy, there's the second giving of the law. Um, yes. You know, you talked about canon law. There, there's um, the Ten Commandments part of the law, but, you know, we, we hear commands that we have to follow. What exactly is a precept? Well, a precept is a softer word that also means uh, uh, command, but if you break it down into its et- original etymology, pre means before, uh, cepere means to begin, and I would say precepts, I guess, uh, would probably literally mean as a, a condition, uh, as a condition to leave as a, live as a Catholic, you need these very basic uh, fulfillments of uh, the teachings of the gospel. You know, these are very basic uh, principles of the gospel that you need to live to start off in your discipleships. So I guess probably that's why they use the word uh, precept. Uh, so, and we're going to get into the five of uh, the five precepts that we have in the church here in just a moment. But before we kind of walk through each one of those, as you're talking about, you know, the the law of the Old Testament— that's something that in the New Testament, St. Paul, he talks about how we're no longer bound by the law. We're now subject to grace. And Jesus, even when he points out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, he says, you know, with all the, the rules that they've put um, out there, they lay these heavy burdens on the shoulders of the people, of the, the, the children of Israel. So if we hear Jesus and we hear Paul talking about the problems with rules, with laws, we're not bound by laws, we're now under grace. What's the difference here? And I I think you kind of alluded to this in some of your opening remarks, but what's the real difference here with the precepts of the Church? Why is it important that we do indeed have some sort of guidelines that that we're following while not, you know, not seeing it in the same context as what Paul or Jesus are talking about? Well, it's basically Paul is growling uh, in the face of the Jewish law, not because he disagrees with the Ten Commandments, but for a number of reasons. Uh, The Jewish people may not have had a vision. All right, these commandments ultimately live, lead to everlasting life. That's revealed, but it probably wasn't crystal clear, and the purpose of those commandments was to preserve and protect the chosen people so that they could create a staging area for the Messiah to emerge, to come into existence. 
Uh, but the, the compelling reason why he keeps contrasting the new covenant with the old is because it's impossible uh, to live the natural law totally without the aid of grace, which is won by the redemption. And the basically the immediate purpose of the Mosaic law is to, just to put it crudely, to keep the chosen people out of trouble, not to mingle with uh, the pagan nations. Uh, their religions were not innocent. I mean, they had all sorts of prostitution rights. Uh, the whole idea of Gehenna is uh, part of human sacrifice where they'd fling infants into that fire pit to placate uh, their their god, their demonic god, if you will. And so the, the, the law was there because if you don't impose this law, they'll be just, just as bad as the Gentiles. And so the law is looked upon negatively because it's not meant to lead to the perfection of the human person that requires grace. The perfection of the human person is, as Vatican, Gaudium et Spes, Vatican II says, that our greatest self comes out when we give ourselves to Christ. When we become Christ-like, that is the ultimate human perfection. And basically, we, human perfection cannot stop at the Mosaic Law. The goal is, which is, I guess, in a in a strict sense, impossible. We could get closer to it. It's to love as Jesus loved, mm -hmm. and that is that condenses all of divine revelation. If you love as Jesus loved, you don't need the Ten Commandments. No, you're not going to lie. You're not going to hate. You're not going to get right. angry. You're not going to kill. On and on and on. Uh, so, uh, I think those are some of the reasons. And the the and Jesus railed against the Pharisees for a number of reasons. Um, the, the law uh, and all the corollaries, there's tons of corollaries uh, that they derived from the law, was an end in itself. Yeah, yeah. And the law led to a lot of self-righteousness. I mean, the Pharisee was boasting that he lived better than the publican, but we noticed there's no examination of conscience, there's no act of contrition, there's no compassion for that so-called, that hypothetical uh, publican, there's no real love of God, and that's what the Lord was had a problem with. There's no love here. There's no love for God. There's no love of neighbor, and there's no humility. I mean, the law is becoming an end to itself to almost a neurotic way with all these prohibitions. Right. So I think that's that's where the Lord's coming from. Yeah, well, and that's even where he goes on when he's when he keeps on saying, you know, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, and he gives, you know, uh, condemnation after condemnation. And I'm looking at Matthew chapter 23, but he gets to right, one point exactly. where he says, you pay tithes of mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier things of the law, judgment and mercy and fidelity, and says you exactly. should, these these things you should have done without neglecting the other. He's he's not saying that the others, you know, exactly. shouldn't be counted in, but 
you're missing the whole point. <laughs> you're you're, exactly. you're getting exactly. so caught up. You can't kind of like can't see the forest for the trees. Um, sort of basically, basically. Yeah. Well, so Father, can I have you first of all um, just yeah. uh, tell us, walk us through what the five precepts are here, so that we have a starting point, and then maybe we can just take them one by one through the course of the hour here and look at them a little more in depth. Sure. Uh, the first precept, uh, you shall attend Mass on Sundays and holy days of obligation and rest from servile labor. That's number one. Number two, you shall confess your sins at least once a year. Third precept, you shall receive the sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter season. And uh, lastly, uh, fourth, you shall observe the days of fasting and abstinence established by the Church. Uh, five, you shall help provide for the needs of the church. All right, so five, yeah. very basic. I mean, they're very extremely basic. Yeah, and, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the hour, these are kind of the things that the church looks at as the bare minimum. I think the catechism. Right. I'm just looking here. Yeah, it it even says that. Um, oh. Yeah, there, there was a line I read in here. That, yeah, here it is. Um, it's paragraph 2041. Uh, the obligatory mm-hmm. character of these positive laws decreed by the pastoral authorities is meant to guarantee to the faithful the very necessary minimum in the spirit of prayer and moral effort in the growth in love of God and neighbor. So going back to what right. you said, you know, if we, if we have that love of Christ that we're living out in our lives— we won't really have to worry about the laws that you know are given to us. We're just going to live those out naturally. But again, exactly. the church says, "Well, here's the very minimum thing that you you know these things need to be observed for you to be healthy spiritually." So the first one here, this first precept, you shall attend mass on Sundays and holy days of obligation and rest from servile labor. Uh, why does the church? Why is it important for us just to simply attend mass every Sunday? Well, first of all, uh, the Church is just uh, Christianizing natural law. Natural law doesn't say you have to go to Mass on Sunday, but according to natural law, periodically you need to acknowledge your, the Creator and give thanks and give homage. Uh, that's natural law. Um, but why does a Church mandate this? Again, being a, a mother, she wants the bare minimum. At least once a week, for whatever, it depends how long the homily is, at least once a week you'll hear the Word of God in relative abundance. You'll hear instruction on the Word of God. You have a shot at examining your conscience. You may be moved to make a resolution to follow Christ more closely. You are in the presence of the redemptive act on the cross. That's a source of grace. If you're in the state of grace, you could receive the resurrected Christ. The Church wants its children to have this. And without it, then, you know, it could redound on your marriage, on your relationships. Why? Well, because if I never examine myself, if I never hear the Word of God, if I'm never instructed, if I never pray, or if I pray, it's an, you know, a cursory prayer before I go to bed, if that. Well, I'm going to diminish as a person. Um, if you read you know, horror stories of, uh, of crimes and people misbehaving in, in egregious ways, 
there is a correlation between that and an absence of God. The big problem of our society is an absence of God, and the church is saying, well, listen, we, we don't have a police force or a torture chamber, but we really want you to, you have a serious obligation to at least do this. And, and it's seriously sinful not to, you know, if you know better, because it harms you to be so distant from God. If you can't go once a week, it's going to harm you. Talking with Father Peter Armenio today here on The Inner Life about the five precepts of the Catholic Church. Those five are attending Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation, confessing your sins at least once a year, receiving the Eucharist at least once during the Easter season, observing the days of fasting and abstinence established by the Church, and helping to provide for the needs of the Church. And maybe you have come to a better understanding of one of those precepts. How did that occur in your life? Maybe you have a question about one of these precepts, uh, why the Church requires it, what it means to actually live that out in your life. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Peter. The phone number into the studio, 888-914-9149, Father, when we come back, let's continue our conversation here um, on this first precept, attending Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. And, uh, and we'll start getting into the second and the third and fourth and fifth here. But again, our phone number into the studio, 888 Back in just a moment here on The Inner Life, on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. Welcome back. I am Josh Raymond, and glad to have you along for this hour of spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is The Inner Life. And again, that phone number you heard there, you can call in and join the program, 888-914-9149, as we talk about the five precepts of the Catholic Church here today with our spiritual director, Father Peter Armenio. He is a priest of Opus Dei, the head of Opus Dei for the Midwest. And uh, just kind of talking the first precept, talked a little about it before the break, Uh, That first precept, you shall attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation and Rest from Servile Labor. Father, you talked about um, how, you know, it starts from a point of natural law, but then we also are able then to uh, see how there is the sacramental aspect of this that we participate in. And I, I think, for me at least, I feel like we were given a gift in being able to see what happens when we lose that access to be able to gather together in our parishes. I'm talking about a few years ago when the pandemic started. So many parishes began closing, you know, different dioceses and archdioceses would uh, have their parishes shut down for the safety of so many people. And so then parishes began streaming, streaming mass. And I remember it was such an odd Easter. It was the only Easter of my entire life I haven't been at a church, you know. I haven't been able to go on Easter Sunday and participate. 
And, you know, we, we did everything we could from our home during that Holy Week, during the Triduum, leading up to Easter. But it just, everything felt so odd, so out of place from what it should have been. Um, but then that idea of, okay, I can stream Mass, you know, that, that of course, means there's no ability to receive the Eucharist. But beyond receiving our Lord in communion there— what are some of the other things that make it really important that we actually do gather together for Mass as a community? The gathering together, it's, it's a way of reinforcing each other's faith because we are a mystical body. And it's, it's part of the mystery, it's a mystery of faith, but we are connected uh, analogous to organs and cells of a body. And seeing the witness of others, praying with others, uh, the Mass is all about the presence of Jesus on a number of levels, as the Second Vatican Council on the Liturgy t- teaches. I mean, you have the true presence, which is the actual presence of Jesus in the uh, underneath the properties of bread and wine. You have the true presence of the one a redemptive act that occurred 2,000-plus years ago in a, in a sacramental way, in an unbloody way, but the real it's really there. Uh, you have a presence of our Lord in the Word of God and a more reinforced presence of Jesus in the Gospel. And then lastly, when two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. So it's with a modicum of goodwill— there is an experience of Jesus Christ in that this culmination point of the spirituality of a Catholic. Um, so those are some of the reasons why that we all gather together is is important, uh, because the the priesthood also is not the the purpose of the priesthood is not the priest. The purpose of the priesthood is to serve the people, and to give the sacraments, and to be an imperfect. A representative, but nevertheless a representative of Christ through his holy orders uh, for the people. So those are some of the reasons why it's important that we all gather together. Yeah, and like I say, you know, for me, I, I thought it was, it really struck, uh, it hit home for me that, you know, wow, something that I take for granted, being able to just go to Mass, you know, daily Mass uh, at so many different places, especially if, if you live in a large metropolitan area, um, yes. you know, confession, uh, so, so many different aspects of the faith that are just open and available. And once that was shut down, it was, oh, you know, even on those Sundays where it feels like, oh, okay, I'm feeling exhausted. Do I really have to go to Mass? Yeah, I should go to Mass. The minute it's taken away, you kind of appreciate. Uh, maybe we can also talk about the holy days of obligation that are encapsulated yes. in this precept. Uh, why do we have other days that we are required to attend Mass? What does the Church want for us? What is it asking uh, us to to understand, to learn, to receive when we come together and celebrate these different other days throughout the year? Well, I I think there's a number of reasons, and I forgot to include that in the importance of Mass. Um, it is also a very natural way, uh, more should be done, but at least it's a beginning to transmit the teachings of the Church uh, through the preaching uh, and by interpreting the Word of God and 
and including the, the actual teachings of the church. The Holy Days of Obligation fulfill that function in a very unique way because uh, I'm going to now have to com- contemplate the Immaculate Conception, uh, the role of Mary, very important for, the, for, the, uh, for Catholic living and even Christian living. Um, and ha- having the uh, veneration of Mary on certain occasions throughout the year afford the Catholic uh, an opportunity to, to go deeper in the mysteries of Catholic teaching regarding the Blessed Mother that is intimately linked to the Incarnation. Uh, the other day of obligation is the Church, and it's, well, it's not, if we were living in Italy at least a few years ago, the Feast of St. Joseph would be a day of obligation, but it's not. Uh, All Saints uh, is, uh, depends on the, uh, the diocese, but let's just say it is. Um, it's a celebration of our, every, of our true calling and to recognize the beauty of Christianity, of the gospel, when that gospel uh, receives a, a total receptivity and, and the transformation of the followers of Christ through sanctity uh, the Church wants us to recognize the power the Church has in transforming the human person, and also the fact that in heaven there's another dimension, there's another component of the Church that intercedes for us. So it's also a way of teaching us the mysteries of faith, but at the same time helping us live the faith so that during, in addition to Sunday there's certain very important times of the year that we recognize very special mysteries of the faith. Another one is obviously Christmas itself. Uh, That's at the heart of Catholic teaching, and obviously uh, we are obligated to celebrate uh, that uh, occurrence, that episode in the history of Catholicism, which is nothing less than the birth of the founder of the Church. So those are some of the reasons why we're obligated to go on these days of obligation. Well, in the Church, the U.S. bishops especially have tried to make a lot of these as easy as possible. So many of them are or on of, Sunday. They're they're celebrated on the the, the closest Sunday. That's exactly right. Um, a good question that came in from Kathy. She emailed us. She said, um, "On the holy days of obligation, are those also days of rest? According to this first precept, which it says." You shall attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation and rest from servile labor. She says, am I committing sin by working on those days? And which I, <laughs> I think that's a great question, because there's lots of those days where I'm required to work too. It, it, you know, how do we understand that day of rest? Uh, Sunday is one thing, a day, you know, a Tuesday or a Wednesday right. where it's a Holy Day of Obligation. What, what, how should we approach that? Well, I, I would say... Uh, is it a day of rest? I, and I would say sort of. Uh, no, we should not skip out of work. We should not come late for work. Um, it's a sufficient sacrifice, at least in American society, to get to Mass, whether it's the night before or the day, uh, because a holy day of obligation. Um, it may be, it's, that's, that's a different issue, but it may be interesting to tell one's superior at work, listen, I'm going to be a little bit late because this is a special day for Catholics. Um, I would recommend in a realistic way, all right, you know, the Immaculate Conception is not your ordinary day. Have some kind of recognition at home, maybe a special meal, 
uh, maybe a little bit of a, a gathering with the family, uh, maybe a decade of the rosary, but a little something that makes that day special. And if people can relax together and enjoy each other's company, uh, I, I would recommend that. But I would not recommend shirking your professional obligations. I would not recommend that. Very good. If you had a vacation day you wanted to take, that'd be different, but not... not that'd be different. Right. That'd be definitely, yeah. Uh, Father, let's move on to the second precept, and this is, okay. you shall confess your sins at least once a year. It's not spe- specified here in the entry of the Catechism, and if you're listening and you just joined us again, we're talking about the five precepts of the Catholic Church, and you can find those five precepts listed out in the Catechism, paragraph 2042, 2042, and it has all five listed there, um, starting and then continued in 2043. So you shall confess your sins once a year, not specified in the Catechism, but I seem to recall hearing somewhere that the season of Lent is maybe the most appropriate or the primary time when we should go to confession. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct because it's a a time of repentance. The whole year is a time of repentance, but the, the, the main focus of Lent is repentance. Uh, you're doing uh, atonement for your sins. You know, it begins with Ash Wednesday, uh, ends with the Easter Triduum, on and on. It is a time of penance. The Lord reveals in uh, a thousand years before Christ in Psalm 51 that the favored uh, penance and sacrifice is a humble and contrite heart. Um, written by David, at least according to tradition. The, it makes sense, I'm almost, I guess the church is, is going to, probably doesn't want test to its, uh, test its luck, but, I, you know, I'm almost surprised that the precept is only once a year. Right. But, you know, let's, let's start with that at least, uh, because the church wants the, her children to be healed. And what I could say as a, veteran confessor. Uh, when I first started off hearing confessions, I remember I had uh, the erroneous notion that you knelt down or sat down and told your sins to somebody else at, as a way of reparation. You know, okay, you committed some sins. All right. The shame involved, the discomfort involved with revealing this to somebody else. That's the penance that you need to offer to the Lord for having sinned. I I was disabused of that pretty early in the game. I It, it, it was self-evident that uh, as long as the priest tries to imitate the compassion of Jesus without watering down the truth, it is the most merciful way of granting uh, Christ's forgiveness. People have a need to open up and for many, it's a catharsis, you know, precisely that because it's wrong to be on a guilt trip. It's, it's harmful to the human psyche, to the human, human person, even, it, the, even physical health, to be on a guilt trip. You want to be re- relieved of that, and you want to experience how much Christ loves you. And so uh, the church, in its maternal concern for its children, wants that experience. I could say, uh, you know, it's the Holy Spirit, but um, where I, I work part-time at St. Mary the Angels, on Sunday there's confessions, three or four priests are going hours. And I would say, 
you have every age group, but I would say the great majority are young. Big, long lines. Um, uh, I work at campus ministry. Confession is very popular among the youth. And I have to admit, much more popular than when I was their age. Uh, why is that? Well, because I th- they experience uh, a, a sacramental therapy. Uh, okay, I'm going to burden myself. And, and I make it clear. You know, some people say, what are you going to think of me? Or can you, are you going to keep this confidential? I said, listen, uh, we have, priests have their, you know, a lot of, have had their problems, but breaking that silence, uh, that sacramental seal, I, you, you virtually never hear about that. And there's so many, there's so many strictures on preserving that sacramental silence. In fact, someone says, listen, I just told you in confession, let's talk about it. I said, well, since you talked to me about it in confession, I have to play dumb. I didn't hear anything. Yeah, but it's me. I know. I can't, disc- I can't talk about it with you either unless you talk to me about it outside the sacramental forum. So all that and then the encouragement that they could begin again, and no matter what they did, they're forgiven. And not only that, they can become great disciples of Christ. Um, it's very popular. We just need priests to hear more confessions because, you know, it's not uncommon that I go hours hearing confessions uh, when it's advertised. So um, it's a very positive sacrament. Uh, Father, the third precept is kind of in the same uh, lane, I guess, so to speak, as the second precept. You know, it's that at least once a year kind of thing as well. You shall receive the sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter season. I find it interesting that this precept, it's open to the entire season of Easter, not merely Easter Sunday. Um, but I think it also might raise the question, you know, unless I'm in a state of mortal sin where I shouldn't receive the Eucharist, right? why would I only receive the Eucharist once per year? Why not every Sunday? Why not, you know, even more when I'm able to attend daily Mass? Why is this precept so minimal as well? You mentioned it about confession. The Church kind of, maybe she doesn't want to press her luck, you know, okay, you got to go to confession at least once a year. Why not right. require more of us in receiving Christ in the Eucharist? Well, I think, I may not be right, but I think because uh, you go to confession probably during Lent, once a year, uh, at least you're insured of being in the state of grace that one time a year. Uh, Why the Easter season? Because the Eucharist is the greatest fruit of the Paschal Mystery, you know, what is the Eucharist? It is the true presence. I mean, to have the Eucharist, for, for, for our Lord's true presence, you need the death and resurrection of Christ to be brought to the altar. And so to stress uh, the resurrection, uh, the greatest fruit of the, of, of the Paschal mystery and the victory of Christ, which is the resurrection, uh, that's why uh, the Eucharist is recommended during the Easter season. Yeah, because it is linked with the Paschal Mystery. I also want to go back to something we said earlier, uh, that when we're talking about these precepts, these are the bare minimum needed. So as we're talking about this, you know, and I started talking about, okay, if we have to be healthy physically and we have to do certain things to achieve health physically, well, there's certain things that we need to do to achieve spiritual health but as with physical health, you know, you don't just have to stop at, okay, I, 
I had I had a salad and I'm you know I I went for a, a you know ten minute walk today. Well, I did at least the bare minimum. Well, you can walk longer. <laughs> you can exactly. You, help. you know, there's more you Amen. can do. So just Amen. in the same way, yeah, of course, go to confession more than once a year if it's available for you. By all means, you yes. know, receive that grace. Same with receiving our Lord in the Eucharist. There's there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to receive the Eucharist if you're in a state of grace uh, as often as possible. So I, oh, I just, absolutely, yeah. No, it would not make sense not to receive the Eucharist every time you go to Mass if you're in the state of grace. Yeah. Uh, let's. We need to take one more break, Father, but let's come okay. back and also talk maybe briefly. The U.S. bishops have called for a Eucharistic revival here um, in, in our parishes in our country, and maybe we can talk about how mm-hmm. we might see that lived out here in the next couple of years. Again, talking with Father Peter Arminio. He is a priest of Opus Dei. He's our spiritual director here on The Inner Life as we're talking about the five precepts of the Catholic Church, and our phone number into the studio is 888 888- 914-9149-888-914-9149. If you have a question about one of these precepts, you're welcome to call in and speak with Father Peter. 888-914-9149. Our conversation continues momentarily here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. Welcome back. Talking with Father Peter Arminio today about the five precepts of the Catholic Church. If you joined us late, of course, you can go find the podcast. It'll be posted here shortly after the broadcast ends. And that podcast is available at relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Uh, The five precepts that we've talked about, the first three so far, you shall attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation and rest from servile labor. The second precept, you shall confess your sins at least once a year. And the third is where we left off, you shall receive the sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter season. And Father, I wanted to talk about the Eucharistic revival that the uh, U.S. bishops have called for here in our country. What do you hope to see happen in the hearts of the faithful during this time of Eucharistic revival? Well, what I hope is that because there's, as John Paul would emphasize so often, that, that the Eucharist is a little bit of a package linked with confession, that in order to derive fruitfulness from the Eucharist, benefit, graces, blessing, transformation, conversion, it has to be linked with the Eucharist, uh, with confession, which disposes us uh, to take better advantage of this uh, bread of God. It's a little bit like example. Uh, You eat the right food, but then you have to work out in order for that food to redound on your, you know, your muscle tone, on your stamina, on your endurance, on your energy levels, and et cetera. And so I think part of that is more frequent uh, encouragement for people to receive the Eucharist in the state of grace. Uh, there's a lot of ignorance out there, and it's not a question of worthiness, because if it were a question of worthiness, nobody could receive the Eucharist, That's right. nor is it a, qu- a question of being without sin. That's, that, that's not it either. But if someone is aware that they're not in condition, because I, I love steak with French fries, but if I have a stomach flu or I'm sick in bed, 
that, that I'm not ready to have that yet. I got to I got to get cured first. And so that has to be part of the equation here, which is a good thing. I mean, to receive communion in the right conditions w- means that the communion will have the Eucharist will have an effect. I would say also encouragement of prayer, Eucharistic adoration, obviously, but also Eucharistic adoration is simple prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. For example, getting to Mass a little bit earlier and just uh, having a heart-to-heart conversation with the resurrected Christ who's in that tabernacle. And that also allows you or helps you, enables you to be better prepared for Mass so that routine not creep in, that each Mass becomes a little bit more special when there is an immediate preparation. Uh, the recitation, it was done during COVID, but does one not need the pandemic to do that? The recitation of a spiritual communion, you know, the, telling the Lord this desire. Um, coming to the Eucharist, as the Lord tells us in the Eucharistic uh, discourse, to come to the Eucharist with our burdens. I mean, I heard a couple of great stories on relevant radio. Uh, this was a few years ago. This one poor young lady, you know, she came from a dysfunctional family, uh, parents divorced, and her, her father actually said to her, you know, I'm divorcing you as well. And so, you know, I'm sure there, uh, there's a lot of psychological wounds there. And her, her friend said, well, listen, what you need to do right now is go to Eucharistic Adoration. Uh, and so she did. And she was one of the callers on Relevant Radio. And she said, um, I recommend that to everybody. I know I'm loved by God. That's what uh, I've experienced in this Eucharistic Adoration. I'm a daughter of God. I'm special in front of God. And I want to just let everybody know that. And I really urge you all to consider Eucharistic adoration because it's such a healing uh, remedy for you. And there's another, you know, another caller with a similar experience of being before the Blessed Sacrament and praying. So, um, and then going deeper into what it really is, you know, it's the real, it's the true presence of the resurrected Christ. It's one of the best kept secrets. So anyway, these are all the fringe benefits of this, (laughs) these, this Eucharistic year. So, well, Father, um, we could spend two hours here talking about these we precepts could, of could. the Church, but um, I want to get into the fourth and fifth here in our remaining few yeah. minutes here. Fourth yeah. precept, you shall observe the days of fasting and abstinence established by the Church. When are we supposed to fast, and when should we abstain from meat? Well, it's uh, not much, No, but uh, we are obligated, if you're what, uh, under, what, 59, 59 and under, uh, to fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, and and live abstinent and not eat meat, and then during the Fridays of Lent, at least in this country, uh, you uh, you refrain from eating meat uh, during the Fridays of Lent, unless there's a dispensation because of Feast of Saint Joseph or one of those. Right, uh, and I think uh, it's twelve so the, and above for not eating meat, and eighteen and above for fasting, if I remember correctly. I think so. I think you're correct. I think you're correct. Um, it's minimal. It's almost symbolic. Uh, it's a way of imitating Christ on the cross. It's a way of imitating Christ's sojourn in the desert. Uh, it's a way of uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to convert us. It's a way of overcoming evil in the world. Uh, one of the older translations says this kind could only be cast out by prayer and fasting. 
I mean, my recommendation, this is just a little appetizer uh, on one's own. One should, you know, without being imprudent about fasting, I mean, I'd say severe fasting, get some counsel from a spiritual director or confessor. But, you know, a light fasting uh, is uh, something to be generously practiced, especially during the, the, the time of Lent, the time of penance. So that that is not mandated, but strongly recommended by Jesus himself. Right, right. So, And that's a contact point with Christ himself. All right. Fifth precept, yep. you shall help to provide for the needs of the Church. Supporting your local parish is, of course, important, you know, and, and, you know, this goes into tithing and other things. But can you also speak about how this precept goes beyond simply giving to your local parish, how providing for the needs of the Church is seeing the global Church around us? It's seeing the global church, but it's also another contact point. You know, we'll begin Lent with um, with the gospel that includes prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Poverty is a hallmark of the life of Jesus, and poverty is not restricted to monks and nuns uh, who are cloistered, uh, but poverty is something that should be lived, whether you're rich, whether you're upperly mobile, whether you're middle class, whatever— and it's a chance to be detached from material goods. It's, attached, it's a chance to be generous. And by helping your local church, basically, you're trying to serve the whole mystical body. And, you know, in a practical sense, uh, to have the right vestments and to have the right ambiance in the church and to support the priests, uh, they count on, you know, the generous almsgiving of their people, of their right. parishioners. Well, and almsgiving doesn't only need to be supporting, providing for the needs of the church doesn't only need to be financial. There can be offerings exactly. of time and efforts, you know, that we put exactly. out there, too. Service, sure. That's exactly. Uh, Father, uh, we're, we're down to just our last minute here, so, but again, I want to reemphasize, these are the bare minimum standards. Don't use them as, this is all I have to do, but this is a good starting point. But Father, as we do have our last minute here, could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners that we try and live these out in our lives daily? Sure. God Almighty Father, thank you for the mercy you shed on us through the presence of your Son. Help your people see that a good first step in discipleship is to leave these precepts that are an expression of your infinite love, your merciful love through your church on your people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. God bless you all. Great being with you. Good to talk with you, Father Peter. I look forward to speaking with you again in the near future here. And of course, if you joined us late, as I mentioned earlier, find the podcast. It'll be posted at relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Stay tuned. Mass starts shortly here on Relevant Radio. And tomorrow, we're going to be talking about conversion. Tomorrow is the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, the Apostle. What does conversion look like in our lives? Is it a one-time event? Is it something that happens every day? Well, we're probably going to be talking about the latter, <laughs> that it's it's something that needs to happen continually in our lives. Hope you can join us for that conversation here on The Inner Life. Have a blessed rest of your day.